All right. Okay, I'm pumped for this new series. I'm really excited about it. We're gonna be, it's going to be all about, guess what? Jesus. And we're going to be, the first talk is going to be a big picture about who he is. And it's also going to be some things that will be really hopefully helpful for you as you're having conversations with others about Jesus. For those of you that are skeptical or um, have not 100% sure what you believe about who Jesus is, I hope tonight will be really encouraging to you to think about who he is and what what your response is to him. Uh, so that's going to be the first installment of the series. So let me just pray, and then we're just going to jump right in. You might notice on your handout, I got a lot to cover tonight. So, so let's go. Father, um, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that I get the privilege of talking about the greatest person in the world and the greatest um, being in the universe. And I get the privilege of proclaiming who you are so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable me to do that, to, to really communicate well and communicate clearly. And uh, I pray against any distractions that all of us would be able to really focus on the truth of who you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So our, our first thing is, man... Jesus is a big deal, right? Okay, can we all agree that Jesus is a big deal? I was at Safeway the other day, and I saw him right there on the cover of Time magazine. It was a picture of Jesus. I was like, whoa, okay, yeah, he is a big deal. He's everywhere, man. He's huge. He's bigger than Kanye, okay? He, he, is, he is big, man. Um, and, and I don't want to get into all that about Kanye. But man, everyone, every religion has a different opinion. Every person on earth, whether they express their opinion or not, and a lot, there's actually a lot of people that don't know who Jesus is, and that's why we need to go to them. But all, most people that know about Jesus have an opinion about him. And so we're going to first look at a few people's and religions' opinions about Jesus, because not everyone agrees that obviously at Challenge, we're a little biased because we love Jesus and we believe he's God and God's son. But I, I noticed so, uh, Deep, Deepak Chopra said, I see Christ as a state of consciousness we can all aspire to. Hmm. Islam teaches that Jesus was just a man and a prophet, but he was less significant than Muhammad. Um, Hinduism um, doesn't consider... Um, Jesus to be, they actually count him as one of the gods. So I heard about someone that was a Hindu that accepted Jesus, but just add a little shrine to him next to all of her other gods. And so they just see Jesus as one of the many gods. Um, Buddhism teaches that Jesus was actually an enlightened man, um, just like Buddha. And so they teach that. The Dalai Lama said this, he said, Jesus was either a fully enlightened being or a very high spiritual realization. I don't know what that means, but um, Scientology, um, I'm going to read this so I don't jack this up, okay? Jesus is an implant forced upon a theotin about a million years ago. So let me explain that to you. Oh, wait, I can't. I've never done drugs, okay? <laughs> um, um, okay, the most famous and infamous of history um, have said a lot <laughs> about Jesus. Um, Napoleon, anyone heard of Napoleon? Another guy that's kind of a big deal. He said this, 
I know men, and I tell you, Jesus is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our, our genius? Upon force, because they conquered civilizations. Jesus founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions would die for him. I search in vain history to find similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach the gospel. Neither history nor humanity nor ages nor nature offer me anything with which I am able to compare it to or explain it. That is an awesome quote. I just, I think it's so cool that even the guy that is trying desperately to take over the world is saying, I got nothing compared to Jesus. Like, Jesus has got it going on, okay? Um, Every historian, Jesus is so significant that he split history in half. Historian H.G. Wells said this, By this test, Jesus stands first. I am a historian. He said, I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus is easily the most dominant figure in all of history, Christ is the most unique person in history. No one can write a history of the human race without giving first and foremost place to the penniless teacher of Nazareth. Whew. I love it. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. But who's right? Millions of people believe in Jesus. Millions don't. And actually, your life and your eternity Hang in the balance on what you believe about Jesus. So the first thing about Jesus is Jesus existed. Okay? <laughs> Jesus existed. And uh, believe it or not, some people that you can interview, we, we did surveys today on campus, and we asked people who they thought Jesus was. And we, there's people out there that believe Jesus never even existed. He's just a myth. And there's also people that believe the earth is flat. So <laughs> um, that's, that's just... Um, there's actually a ton of evidence outside the New Testament in history that circulated and tell about, you can almost piece together the Gospels and the story of Jesus just from historical, extra-biblical content. I came, I saw, I found this letter by Pontius Pilate. Anyone heard of him? He was writing a letter to another person, to the emperor, and he said this, he said, I therefore ordered him, Jesus, to be crucified, having first scourged him and having found him no cause of evil, accusations, or deeds. At the time he was crucified, there was a darkness over the world, the sun being darkened at midday and the stars appearing, but in them there, were, there appeared no luster, and the moon, as if it turned into blood, failed in her light. This is a historical document talking about Pontius Pilate said, I sent Jesus to die, and as soon as he died, blackness, darkness covered the sky. Have you read that somewhere else? The Bible, okay? The Bible said that, and I just think that's so awesome that we, our faith is not a blind faith. Um, there was a historian, Talus, who was a non-Christian historian who wrote about this Jesus' death in AD 52, and he mentioned that darkness, and he tried to describe it as a eclipse, a solar eclipse. But another historian in 221 AD named Julian Africanus actually corrected Talus in this. So let's follow me on this. This is another quote. 
Talus, in the third book of histories, explains away this darkness as an eclipse of the sun. Unreasonable as it seems to me, unreasonable of course, because who doesn't know this? Because a solar eclipse could not take place at the time of the full moon, and it was at the season of, of the Pascal full moon that Christ died. So I don't know. I just found, maybe I'm just a nerd, but I, I found some of this stuff I was discovering about the historical evidence of the events that were surrounding the death of Christ to be really fascinating that you, you don't have to just blindly believe the Bible. You can take Christ and who he is just from a historical standpoint. And these things are explained. So how do you explain the whole world going black in that moment? Like, I don't know. Maybe Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe the gospel really is real and true. Maybe the Bible really is the story of mankind and that maybe we get a chance to live into that story. There was a, a famous um, archaeologist named Sir William Ramsey. He was the greatest archaeologist of his time. And he spent 25 years as a, a, a avowed atheist. His parents were atheists. And he was just hardcore atheist. He set out to travel the Middle East to disprove the New Testament. And guess what happened? He got converted. <laughs> he got saved because he saw over and over and over these historical sites that Luke was mentioned in Acts. And he, he, at the end of his time, he said this. Luke is a historian of first rank, not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy? This author should be placed among the world's very greatest historians. Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect to his trustworthiness. I love how God has a sense of humor. That, that so many people that have sought to disprove Christianity have ended up getting saved. <laughs> and I, I can tell you multiple stories like this, that people thought they were so smart, and God's like, oh, I got you this time, bro. So the next thing is Jesus was fully human. So Jesus, this is an amazing truth. Is God became a man. God was fully, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Wrap your mind around that. Like Jesus was fully God, fully man. Jesus had a human body. Okay? He got tired. He got hungry. He experienced those physical issues that we, feel, we have experienced. Jesus had human emotions. Jesus got angry. Dude, if you say, don't, you, you say, be like Jesus, at one point, Jesus kicked over tables. He came to a, a church meeting like this, and he started, like, kicking over tables, got a whip out, started whipping people. Jesus got mad when people were, dis, were, were trying to sell salvation. That's what was happening. And people were trying to sell salvation, and Jesus got mad. So Jesus gets angry. Jesus felt love. He felt sadness. And then Jesus had human experiences. Temptation, learning, work. He had human experiences. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have an amazing Savior that didn't just sit up in heaven and, and, and try to save us. He came down, and he experienced life the way we do. He experienced the worst suffering. He experienced the worst temptation, and he never sinned. 
And so if you ever think, does God understand what I'm going through? Like, yes, he does. Because Jesus experienced that as a real person. Now, a lot of people might say, well, Jesus was, that's all he was. He wasn't God. He wasn't God's son. He was just a man. And let's leave it to the great theologian Bono from U2. You guys know who he is? Okay. Um, he said, someone asked him, they said, Christ has his rank among the world's greatest thinkers, but son of God, isn't that far-fetched? He said, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christian story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously, and a very interesting guy. I thought this was interesting. He said, but Christ actually doesn't allow that to you. He doesn't let you off the hook that easily. Christ says, I am God incarnate. So what are you left with is either Christ was who he says he was or a complete nutcase. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. So Bono, it's a beautiful day, you know? And he, the guy that sang that song, okay? Listen, people, okay? Man, I love it. Jesus claimed he was God and the answer to life's problems. So Jesus actually said, I'm God. I'm the, I'm the answer to life's problems. Humans all have common needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and three leading psychologists in the 20th century mentioned these needs. So um, Jung, Jung, he said, people are hungry for security. Alder, he said, people are hungry for significance. And Freud said, people are hungry for love. And Jesus said, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I find it to be really fascinating that God, Jesus used that terminology for himself. He said, I'm the thing that'll satisfy all your greatest hungers in life. Jesus is the only thing. He declared it to a group of people saying, I am the bread of life. If anyone comes to me, I will, they will never be hungry again. So your deepest needs, your deepest wants, Jesus claims he will satisfy those. And then another problem, common problem people have is they feel disillusioned. They feel depressed. They feel uncertain about life. And the best description of that state is darkness. A lot of people just walk through life with a fuzziness and a darkness in life. Jesus says this. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen? Many people have said, when I met Jesus, it was as if the light just turned on in my life. It was like I just saw clearly all of a sudden. Another major fear people have is the fear of death. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. The greatest fear of, of man is death, but Jesus defeats it. Jesus has defeated it when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Mother Teresa was asked, are you afraid of dying? Um, she said, how can I be afraid? Dying is going home to God. I've never been afraid. On the contrary, I'm looking forward to it. I love that. Jesus defeated death. Now we don't need to fear it anymore. We don't have to be afraid of death. 
A lot of people are also looking for direction in life, and they're looking for an authentic connection with God. They're looking for those things. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Religious teachers might say, I point the way. I teach the way. I know the way. Jesus said, I am the way. Like Jesus is pointing to himself, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my, by me. I love the fact that Jesus declares who he says he is, and, and, and people are drawn to that. Jesus also said that he would come back someday after he ascends into heaven. He'll come back someday, and he will judge the nations. Okay, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He said that one day he's going to come back and he's going to separate people based on their response to him. Does that sound like a good teacher to you? Just a religious teacher? What if you came to challenge and I was like, y'all, I'm coming back someday and, and, and I'm going to judge you. <laughs> you'd be like, I, I'm a head out. You'd be like, <laughs> you'd be, <laughs> that's it. At that point, you are not a good religious teacher. You are, that's weird. But unless you are who you say you are, and I, I've, as you can tell, I firmly believe Jesus is who he said he is. And, and that, that is something serious. C.S. Lewis put it this, like this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be insane or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else insane or something worse. But do not... But don't let's come up with any patronizing nonsense about, how, about him being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend it to. So Bono, as you can tell, was pulling a little bit from C.S. Lewis. So you can't blame him. Um, so basically, you have three options when it comes to Jesus. You either believe he was a liar, or you believe he was a lunatic, that he was just deranged, like people in mental hospitals that think they're Elvis, or are they? Um, or, or he was Lord, okay? He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord of all, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So you have to come to a conclusion. Jesus doesn't give you the option to just kind of be indifferent towards him. Either you believe in him or you don't. So this is why, here's some reasons I believe Jesus is Lord. He is who he says he is. The first thing is his teaching. The teaching that came out of the mouth of Christ was the greatest teaching that ever has been, ever been on the face of the earth. It has shaped civilization since he came. Teachings like Sermon on the Mount, love your neighbor as yourself, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do to others what you would have them do unto you. These are things, I, we were on the airplane to Africa and they're commercial for a hotel before we watched our like five Mission Impossible movies, um, said, said, our motto is to do unto others what we would have them do to you. And I'm like, I know who said that. <laughs> it was Jesus. Jesus has, have you read the Gospels? Like they are profound, they are deep. 
They are some of the, is that the kind of thing a crazy person would say? <laughs> is that the kind of thing a liar would say? I don't think so. Mark 1, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. I'd love to be one of the 5,000 that Jesus fed um, just because I love to eat, but also getting to sit with Jesus and just soak up, man, like I can't wait to, to learn from Jesus in heaven. Um, the next thing we see in, about Jesus is his works, his works. So the, what he did with his life. There's another ancient historian named Josephus. He said this, now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it is lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. So again, he's, Josephus was not a Christian, but he couldn't deny that Jesus did miracles, that de- Jesus did amazing things. I found that to be really interesting. There was this rumor about Jesus, even surrounding in the historical evidence of Jesus was this dude that like did crazy stuff. Like he fed all these people food, he healed people, he did amazing things. Imagine going on a picnic with Jesus. All of a sudden, you don't forget, you forgot your Chipotle. And he's like, okay, anyone got some Chipotle? Let's let's like multiply that out. Jesus fed 5,000 people and then he fed 4,000. He did the same basic miracle twice. I found that to be interesting. Imagine going to a funeral with Jesus. Jesus went to a funeral one time and he's like, "Um, yeah, Lazarus, yeah, I'm going to just ask you to come back out. And they're like, no, no, Jesus, he's going to stink. It's been four days. He's like, I got this. Don't worry. And, Jesus, and Lazarus came, like, Jesus rose someone from the dead. Like, so that funeral, actually, Jesus turned that funeral into a party because <laughs> they were celebrating that this guy came back. So it wasn't just Jesus' miracles that were amazing. It was his, his lifestyle, his love for people. No one was rejected by Jesus. Everyone could come to Jesus. Lepers touched him. He healed them. The outcasts of society, he went out of his way to love them. The character of Jesus is so profound. He transformed everyone's life he came into contact with that would be open to his input. And he's transformed my life. He's done a work in my life. And he's done a work in so many people's lives down through the ages. The next thing about Jesus is his character. Jesus, his character is unsurpassed. Time Magazine says, Jesus is the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness, and love in the history of Western man. A real test of someone's character is when they're under pressure, when they're suffering. And Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, the people nailing nails into his hands, he said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus had unsurpassed character. So why would a lunatic or Lord, I mean, why would a lunatic or a liar pray for the people that were killing him? Jesus, I believe, is Lord. Spoiler alert, okay? His fulfillment, the next thing is his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. His fulfillment of, this one, this one gets me, okay? You guys ready to get a little nerdy here? Okay, the Old Testament was written hundreds of years before the New Testament, before the events of the New Testament. And there was over 300 predictive prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus during his life. 
Does that sound like a coincidence to you? There's proof that the Old Testament was written and fully compact. Someone didn't just go in and like fill in all the gaps later. Like Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. So here's seven of them. He was born in Bethlehem. It said that in the Old Testament. He uh, was preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He was betrayed by a friend who received 30 pieces of silver. He was silent before his accusers. He died in the manner Romans used for criminals, um, during, during which they pierced his hands and feet. Okay, there was a prophecy about how his hands and feet were pierced in the Old Testament before crucifixion was even invented. It's, it's, it's heavy to me that there's so many coincidences about the life of Christ. So that's just seven. Okay, just seven prophecies. There was this guy named Peter Stoner. Let's all laugh at his name, okay. In, the, in his classic book, Science Speaks, calculated the chance of any man fulfilling seven of these prophecies, even down to the present time, to be one to the 17th power. So a, a way to get a picture of this, take the state of Texas. Any Texans in here? Yeehaw! Okay, we got a couple. And imagine filling Texas with silver dollars, about two feet deep. The whole state of Texas. And then take one silver dollar and color that and throw it in there. Color it red. Throw it into the mix. And then get one person and blindfold them and send them out. Okay, go find it. Go find the silver dollar. And the chances of that person going in and picking up that red silver dollar, that's the chances of one person fulfilling all seven, of Jesus fulfilling all seven of those prophecies. So how many did Jesus fulfill? 300. Okay. So let's just take a, a round down significantly. 48. Again, Soner, he, he explains that the odds jump from 10 to the 157th power. That's 157 zeros, I believe. Uh, and last time I checked, that's a lot of zeros. Okay. That's like a really slim chance. And again, how many were there? 300. Think about it. Jesus fulfilled it. Here's one of the prophecies about Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I love this because this talks about the death of Christ in our place for our sin. Jesus died for us. I heard about a guy that printed this out. He was at a big workplace, a lot of different cubicles and stuff. And he printed this passage out and he took the reference off. And he went around and he showed people and he said, hey, who is this about? And they say, yeah, it's Jesus, of course. <laughs> he died on the cross for us, yeah. And he went around to like everyone in the workplace and they all said, of course, that's Jesus. And he's like, ha ha, gotcha. It's from the Old Testament, not the New Testament. And it's, yes, it is about Jesus, but isn't that crazy? And they just got a kick out of that. The proof is amazing. It's, for me, it's like mind-blowing. Like we could stop there, okay? But we're not. Don't worry. The last thing, the nail on the coffin. I don't know if that's a good right word. It's kind of ironic, actually. <laughs> is his resurrection from the dead. Like, Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, I could explain a lot of things. This could be a whole talk about why 
I believe with all my heart Jesus physically rose from the dead. But I'm going to let Lee Strobel um, explain it. I like to look at the evidence for the resurrection in four categories. The first one is, did Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead after crucifixion. We have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Uh, even the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, published a peer-reviewed scientific medical study of the evidence for the death of Jesus and said clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Even the atheist New Testament scholar Gerd Ludeman says historically it's indisputable that Jesus was dead. So Jesus was dead. The second category of evidence is the early accounts we have for the resurrection. In other words, I used to think as an atheist that the resurrection was a legend and that took a long time to develop in the ancient world. But what I learned is that we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christian church, a creed that is a eyewitness-based report of the resurrection of Jesus. Now this creed has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus within months. That is historical gold. So we've got a newsflash from ancient history on the resurrection. Third category of evidence is the empty tomb. And the best evidence for that is even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. Now they're conceding the tomb's empty. They're just trying to explain how it got empty. So everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. How did it get empty is really the issue, and that goes to the fourth category of evidence, which is eyewitnesses. You know, for most of what we know about ancient history, it comes from one or maybe two sources of information. And yet, for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources, inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. That is an avalanche of historical data. So you put all that together and you have a really good case for Easter. Yeah, I'd say. So I, I came across a few other things is um, the empty tomb, which he already mentioned. The empty tomb, man. The, there was, uh, the next one is there was 515 eyewitnesses. So if one person says something, then it's like, okay, and it's kind of crazy. You're like, cool, bro. But if 550 people have a hallucination, like that doesn't happen. Just that's not how those work. Um, and the early nature and the honesty of the resurrection accounts is really fascinating. Because who discovered Jesus after he was, who met Jesus the first time after he was resurrected? Do any of you guys remember? It was a couple women actually. And historically, if they made up that story, they would not have, because in that time, unfortunately, women were lower and lesser beings <laughs> um, to those people in that culture, and they would not have chosen for women. They said that's considered, were, women were considered to be a less credible source. So why would they make up that, you know? And I just found that interesting. And then no one, this one's big, no one willingly dies for what they know is a lie. So all the early apostles, except for John, he was in prison for a long time. He gave us the book of Revelation. But all the other apostles died a martyr's death. 
okay? And they were there. They walked with Jesus, they lived with Jesus, and they claimed to see Jesus. Now, there are people that die for lies, but they die for lies that they sincerely believe. Like people, like terrorists and things like that, but they, they sincerely believe that lie. These people would have known that they didn't see Jesus, and they were lying about it the whole time. Does that make sense? And so these people knew, and they were willing to go, that many people that actually saw Jesus face to face would not only tell people, multiple of people saying it, but also multiple people dying for this truth that Jesus is alive. And then immediately his effect and movement down the ages. Like immediately there was a a revival. There was a movement of God that broke out. Acts 2, read Acts 2 sometime. 3,000 people got saved in one day. Man, that is amazing. That, Jesus is sending his Holy Spirit. Imagine if that happened at Chico State. Like, that would be awesome. We'd have to get into Laxon, do multiple services in Laxon. That'd be awesome. So here's a question for you. Who do you say Jesus is? He is inviting you to follow him because he died on the cross in your place for your sin. And then he rose from the dead, affirming everything that he ever said about himself. And now he's asking you to follow him. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we're faced then with a frightening alternative. The man we're talking about was and is just what he said, or else insane or worse. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither insane nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. I am betting my life on the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And so far, I have not regretted that decision. I have God's blessing and God's new life. He has changed my life from the inside out. And so I want to encourage any of you that are on the fence about following Jesus. You can know that this faith is not a blind faith. This is a solid faith. For me, it actually take, it would take a lot more faith not to believe in Jesus. Okay? Because it's, there's a logic and the way the world works. It just makes sense that Jesus is who he says he is. So it's not enough to know this intellectually or to agree Okay, yeah, I get it, Paul. Yeah, it seems like this is true. You, you also have to accept Christ. John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you, every person, is responsible to make a decision about who Jesus is. Not just intellectually, but volitionally. Okay, that's a big word. <laughs> but that, all that means is just like I trust this chair to hold me, and I'm sitting down. Ooh, that's nice. Um, I'm putting my full weight into it. And so that's what it means to accept Christ, is to turn from your sin, turn from your self-ruled life, and to trust completely in Christ. So if that's you, here's a prayer that you can pray. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm separated from you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place for my sin and rising from the dead. Please forgive me and give me your gift of eternal life. Lead me and guide me from this day forward. If that's you, I just want to challenge you to look down at your paper and silently just pray that 
for a moment or something similar. If you're in here and you've already made this decision and you want to recommit your life to following Christ, go ahead and take this moment to do that as well. So let's take about 30 seconds and just everyone silently pray. And uh, those of you that want to receive Christ can do that right now. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to live the perfect life, to die on the cross in our place for our sin. Thank you for his suffering and his resurrection and his love and that we can know you in a real and life-changing way. I pray that everyone in this room would experience you on a deeper level. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to encourage you with a few, if some of this stuff I was talking about is new to you, I want to encourage you to go deeper and look into the facts about Jesus. There's some books, The Case for Christ. It's a book and a movie. If you, depending if you're more of a movie person, you can watch the movie. It's on Netflix. There's also More Than a Carpenter. That's a good book. And then there's a good website called Cross Examined. You can watch a lot of videos. And I just want to challenge you. Like, we have, it's not blind faith. Like, we have faith, but it is a solid faith built on the rock, built on something solid that, that we can um, talk to people. We can engage people. We have the truth. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the truth. And truth has a self-authenticating quality to it. And so you can proclaim the truth wherever you go, when you're in your classes, and you can, you can be confident that the chips will fall where they may, and Jesus is the truth. And the last thing is Jesus invites us to join him in changing the world. And so one of my goals of this talk was to equip you and encourage you with some ideas for having conversations with people about who Jesus is. And so everyone has a little um, flyer in the handout and a communication card. And the flyer is so you can think of one person to invite next week. And then the communication card is to start thinking about what is your next step? What was your top takeaway? What did you learn from tonight? And then also let us know how we can be praying for you. We pray over these every week. So let's go ahead and spend a few moments filling out the cards, and then we're going to stand up and just worship Jesus for who he is. Thanks, guys.